Hello, and welcome back to the Hockey Assist, a basketball podcast. Here, we have conversations that give basketball fans deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court to the sport at large. My name is Nolan Cope, and here is my co-host, Riley Gaucher. What a pleasure it is to be back with you, sir. It, it is really wonderful to be back, you know? Uh, for those of you out there who've been waiting a while for the next uh, episode of the Hockey Assist, Riley recently graduated from college I recently finished my first school year as a teacher. We've had some uh, much needed time off, uh, but in our time off, the the basketball world has not not stopped moving, and we are here. We are currently recording on Monday night, and game. Six of the NBA Finals is happening tomorrow. So we have got some things to talk about today. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to want to start by saying I think I understand why the the NBA was so you know hell bent on getting their schedule back to the you know overwinter situation that they have because we just both of us been so busy and so much going on and summer is in full swing, right? And nobody really wants to be inside watching basketball when you could be doing other less obsessive things. And so I, I fully have come around to their, their view of, you know, let's get back on the normal schedule. We cannot compete as a, as an entertainment product with sun and fun and whatever else that is going on. Um, yeah. We, you know, in the, in the time off that we took, we, we, I feel like we missed a million different things. So before we, you know, like kind of dive into those, is there any, any one thing that, you know, we, we've missed one that you kind of wanted to, to hit on, like, you know, just a random thing or a kind of funny thing. Because with the way the NBA goes, there was literally a million different stories that have happened since the last time we turned on our mics. Yeah. Uh, something that's been building in my mind over the last few months that hasn't actually played out yet is the NBA draft. I won't talk about it too mm. much because when it when it's it, it's a little bit around the corner and we'll have some some things to discuss there as we break down uh, whatever it is that happens in that draft. But I love the NBA draft. I love the promise. I love the potential. And I love watching how teams and general managers and owners try to put together a roster through the draft. Obviously, You've got some teams like the Sacramento Kings that rarely end up with high with good luck in the draft. And when they do, Marvin Bagley happens. But still just trying to watch how a team like the Kings is going to repair what they have or how a team that is unused to the lottery like the Houston Rockets, how are they going to begin the rebuild around some of the pieces that – uh, they have 
put together after this year in the lowly depths of the Western Conference. So I've been looking at mock drafts. I've been looking at um, potential fits, and I love looking at teams that will have stake in the playoffs this year and next year who also have stake in these drafts. It's, it's, it's exciting for me. That's a, that's a, a great, a great story and a great you know, topic for an entire separate podcast. I think when we, we get down, you know, to the draft, which is happening either next week or, or in like a week and a half, I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, uh, I, I too have also you know, caught the prospect bug and with my favorite team having two lottery picks, it's been, you know, a lot of watching uh, cut-ups of players, you know, strengths and whatnot, and, and t- forming takes that I have no qualifications to have, right? But, you know, we all find our draft crushes and, and players that we think are going to see. It'll be super interesting, I think, you know, if we are able to talk about this and, like, record our thoughts and then come back to it in a couple of years and see how good we actually were at, at knowing what was up. So I'm excited to talk about that with you going forwards. But in the meantime... I think we should start with what's happening right now. As you said, game six of the NBA Finals is happening tomorrow night. And that's kind of the, the and should be the biggest story in, in the NBA landscape. So do you want to lead off with that? We can talk about our, our thoughts and, and, and everything related to, to the championship series of our favorite sport. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, I, as always... We we might get down to a little bit more of break breaking down the games, matchups, uh, player performances, and whatnot. But we here at the Hockey Assist do like to try to take a bird's eye view whenever possible. And something that I've uh, chuckled at myself over the last two weeks is that after the first two games mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. NBA yeah. Finals in which the home team won both games, which is not an uncommon feature of uh, NBA playoff series. The NBA media, the basketball media, was going crazy over the Suns. They had practically anointed the Suns as the champions. They had fired Budenholzer. Drew Holiday was essentially Eric Bledsoe again. And Chris Paul was the greatest point guard and mentor the sport had ever seen. (laughs) Now, I don't want to discredit Chris Paul's impact on the Suns this year and the fact that he is a basketball savant. But four, uh, four games later, or rather three games later, excuse me, Milwaukee won all three, and now they're on the precipice of a championship, and NBA media is falling over themselves to celebrate the glory of Giannis, which is quite glorious, and talk about how important the Drew Holiday trade was. That's why you give up all those assets for Drew Holiday. Who did we we see make that tweet? It was, um, I want to say it was a ringer guy, no? Dan Devine? Oh yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. D- Dan, Dan Devine just came out with an article on the ringer about the audaciousness of the uh, Milwaukee trade for Drew Holiday amongst other things. And so for me, it's funny to watch the uh, pendulum 
of short-term reactions swing so fully to one side and then so fully to the other side what 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 have you have you have you noticed the well, same so, thing right yeah, yeah it's actually it's so funny you say that and this is why we are friends and why we co-host this podcast together because i was listening to a number of podcasts today and i had the same exact fucking thought like the idea that you know, uh, I, Tim Legler, who is a, an analyst that I love, was on, you can guess, the Low Post podcast. I was listening to that today. And he was talking about how there's, you know, like fundamental flaws in the, like, the the sun's, the sun's structure and their, their system and the roster construction a little bit, you know, saying they just, they're a guy short. And I, I, I swear I saw the exact same tweets in those first two games about how many wings were on the sun's and how how the Bucks were a guy short, right? And they were missing DiVincenzo and how that as, you know, a fifth starter, which let's, you know, he's not a well-known player, but that's that's been really critical lamenting that you're like, oh, the Bucks are just too thin. They're, they're, not, they're not up to this task. And it's completely swung. Like you said, the pendulum swung the entire opposite direction. And it's just a, a further example of how as, as humans, I think we are far too results oriented in how we judge things, which is, you know, kind of where where Daryl Morey and, and some other people who are analytically minded have, have found margin to win, right? Is, is this idea that it's not always about whether that shot goes in or not, right? It's not always about whether you you know are able to grab grab that rebound or win that game. It's it's the, the larger sample size of the process. And so I think the, the even stronger example that was Kevin Durant's foot on the three-point line. I, I'm not sure if you got to see that game live, but you know a classic series and the fact that maybe it was, I, I tend to think it was more than a single shoe size. I, you know, I, I think it was Katie just has long ass feet and, and was tired, but the fact that his toe being on that three point line was the difference between the bucks going home and the bucks being the finals. And, you know, we shouldn't, I don't think as, as a, a fandom and, and as people who like to talk about this, stuff, we can't draw too many conclusions from the results, right? It's gotta be more about the process. It's gotta be more about, how things are being done than, than, than what happens, you know? Yeah. And I, I feel like it does a disservice to uh, NBA fans. And I think that uh, sports like football and baseball don't have these same problems because in baseball, with the season being as long as it is, it makes overreacting really hard because a team could lose five games in a row and not move at all in the standings, be entrenched in first place or be entrenched in the wild card because they adjust the next week. And in football, overreacting is just regular reacting because there's so few games. If a supposed championship team in a tough contender, in a tough division, blows a easy game to the Detroit lions and everyone's going to say, well, what's, what's wrong here? You know, like there there's yeah. a, that reveals a lot of structural issues with that team, but basketball is somewhere in the middle, but the, the analysts treat it more like the NFL. Cause that's really the, mm-hmm. the popularity mm-hmm. product that yeah. uh, the NBA is trying to compete with. And like there's probably casual basketball fans out there who really struggle with like reading about how great Chris Paul is. And then 
a week and a half later reading about how Chris Paul is choking in the playoffs again yeah. because he's yeah. Chris Paul. And yeah. that, that doesn't, I know that doesn't generate as great of headlines, but I feel like that sort of uh, perspective over a longer time period could potentially damage the project, the product. Totally. Totally. I think it's, it's a, to me, it's a product, a little bit of the time off, you know, there's um, three gate, three days sometimes between games and the finals, and that's too much airtime, right? We have to fill it as as a an attention economy and as something where attention spans have been shortened, right? Like there's just there's too powerful of an incentive for dumb things to be said into that airspace. Um, and I, I get it, you know, it makes the basketball better, but it's the downside is that we we get really dumb takes and we get you know awful kind of pendulum swings and awful, awful overreactions to, to, to events that, you know, we really need to be judging based on much longer timescales and, and much more evidence. And so uh, to, you know, bounce off that idea a little bit, I think the strongest uh, point for me in regards to all this in the finals is that if the Bucks win the finals, I still think that Mike Budenholzer should be fired, which, you know, might be a hot take and it'll never happen. Right. But I think if they were to win the finals, it would be far too too much overlooking, you know, what happened in those conference finals and what happened in, you know, earlier rounds. And I think that's a classic example, right, of like, you know, winning a championship is the ultimate goal, but doing so because of extenuating circumstances, like the Nets having a ton of injuries or, you know, because you just got lucky, right? Like, and then there's not to say that Bud's a bad coach, but I think he, he's made some mistakes in this, in this playoffs that I, I think are fireable offenses. And it, it's not to say he's having a bad series. He might even be like helping the Bucks win at the end. Like he might be, and, and then maybe that's all that really matters. But I think it's so funny. That's just like a, such a drastic example. It, you know, literally two weeks ago, people were saying that he was, he was cooked. He was, he was terrible. He was, you know, holding them back, he needed to be gone. And for that all to turn around and, and for that to be possible that the narrative flips either says one of two things to me. One, like those takes were just way too strong in the first place, right? Or two, we we don't, we, we have far too short-term memories at this point you know, when it comes to basketball, right? We need to we need to think about these things on the, the larger timescales. And, 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 to, to build off your point, the biggest irony for me is that in those early rounds, when I agree with you, Bud was making fireable mistakes. They were fireable offenses throughout pretty much the first three rounds. And the, the biggest critique of him at that point was he's too s- stuck to his system. He's only willing to make small changes around the edges when he should be reacting to these playoff series as a whole, right? And now in the NBA finals, he did, he refused to change his system, made minor tweaks around the edges. And now the media is beginning to celebrate him as the guy making, pressing the right buttons and doing the right thing. And that is what they were just tearing him apart for three weeks ago. And uh, that's the sort I, of narrative I, that's going to support him getting rehired next year. Sure, sure. I, 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 I want to push back on that a little bit because I do think 
the season as a whole, he's made way more changes in the past. You know, like he, he, he saw how badly he messed up last year. Um, and I, I do think in the finals, you know, they've switched a ton more. That's kind of been the, the symbolic kind of change that is used to encompass all of the other criticism about Bud. And so I, I do think they are changing a little bit. I think at the end of the day, though, it's, it's coming down to the talent of his players and their matchups and, you know, Giannis performing at an amazing level and Chris has hit some huge, huge shots. And so I think, you know, what you're saying about him not changing enough, that's certainly, I think to me though, I would say he's, he's made the wrong changes more often um, in these playoffs. Right. And it's more about like rotation decisions or how long he was, playing people right or like you know when he went for the kill or when he had certain guys guard each other it was it was those sort of things to me that are the bigger deal even if you're right like he is still stubborn as all heck and that's a huge huge problem in his his ability to coach and it's what made guys like Nick Nurse so good or you know Pop uh, who who had vastly different you know uh, team structures and team philosophies over the years yeah the one other main thing I wanted to talk about with you on the finals was legacy. This, mm, mm-hmm. the, the legacy of NBA players in today's world revolves around hashtag rings, right? You know, like it's why, as we've talked about on this podcast many times before, Shaq can win any argument he has with Charles Barkley on inside the <laughs> NBA just because he says, yeah. Rings, honey. And he uh, has his, that's how, how he wins those arguments. And everyone's like, oh, he got Chuck. And it's like, no, he just happened to win more championships than, than Chuck did. But th- this NBA Finals has not, not as much in a toxic way, I think, or begun to uh, circle around legacy. And I think mm-hmm. legacy mainly of three guys, Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Chris Paul. So I want to, I, I wanted to, I wanted to get your take here on like, is, has the discourse about their legacies been uh, the right amount of discourse? Has it been mm-hmm. too much centered around the, uh, Giannis's ascension or Chris Paul getting that elusive ring, or do you think that there are more angles that it should be discussed? Sure. Sure. That's a great, great question. I think where I come down on this is that I'm going to make a soccer analogy here. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but FIFA uses an ELO system to rank all the national teams in the world. And for those of you out there who might not be familiar, it's the system that comes from chess where everybody has a ranking, like a number of points that they're worth a grandmaster being worth a ton and, you know, some novice being worth almost none. And if two teams go head to head, you, you adjust based on the outcome of that result, one team's ranking more than the other, right? So if, if a big, you know, uh, Argentina or, you know, Brazil or one of those really, really good teams was to beat Trinidad and Tobago, you know, each, each of those, teams don't lose that many points because that's kind of the expected outcome, right? Like there's, there's not a huge, you know, if, if, yeah, you, you get the point, right? Um, but if, if a tiny nation was to upset in a legitimate game, like a, a huge team, that means a ton and it should mean more to that smaller team 
they should climb up higher than, than the bigger team should lose, right? Because, you know, it's a fluke, but also flukes don't happen unless there's some truth there, right? Like you don't, you don't get to that win. You don't score that goal that wins you that game unless you actually have enough talent to, to compete on that level, right? Right, right. So the theory goes. And so I think that's a, oh, so, so my point too, is that FIFA just changed those rankings because it used to be that anytime teams would meet in the playoffs of the World Cup, right? Like the, the, uh, the knockout stage, if a team won, they moved on. They got those points from beating, you know, usually a team that's similar caliber and the team that lost and has just lost in this tournament, even though they made it out of the group stage, would be punished. They would lose points and fall down the rankings. And so FIFA realizing that that's kind of incentivizing and rewarding things that you don't, or punishing people for things you don't want to do so, right? You know, moving on in the tournament could set you back further than if you'd gotten, as a mediocre team, gotten kicked out in the group stage. They've changed it. So now in the playoffs, in the knockout stages, excuse me, teams can only earn points. They can't lose them. And so I, to bring this all back to basketball, I think that's what should happen to some degree with legacy, especially in the finals, right? I think this should say a lot more about the guys who succeed and it should be, you know, we should, we should take the positive spin of all this stuff more than we should crush people for, for failing. Does that, does that make sense to you? It does. And, and with Chris Paul, right? It's like, I don't love the guy, but I think it's clear that he's injured, right? Or he's not operating in his, his peak capacity. He's not being himself. And I don't have the opinion that that's because he's shrinking from the moment or this says something truly, you know, like legacy defining about how he performs. And in Giannis's case, he's been amazing. And to me, this is more just affirming his status that he's already reached in the larger sample size of the regular season and having multiple MVPs and all of that. And so the discourse to me, it gets far too zero sum and it gets far too negative, I think, in general, because we, we like talking about that's more fun to poke fun and to, to rubberneck at the, the, you know, the guy destroying his reputation and, and suffering a, a meltdown. Right. Yeah, I, I, I like that. And uh, it, it's, it's going to be very easy for people to make the Chris Paul jokes. People have already started making the Chris Paul jokes. Series isn't over, but they've already started going yeah. like, oh, like he'll be the first person to have lost four series that he's been up 2-0 in, you know? And like, yeah, all, all of those things like say something, but also ignore the fact that the Suns were an outside the playoff team by a large amount last year. And then their, yeah. their undefeated bubble run, notwithstanding, like didn't have the highest of expectations, added Chris Paul there in the NBA finals, you yep. know, because of yeah. the impact that he's had on guys like DeAndre Ayton and taking some off of Devin Booker, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that he should be celebrated for what he has done and what he's been able to do up until this point. And Giannis is just ascending to that point of he is a two-time MVP, a defensive player of the year, and now he's an NBA champion. He's at the the top of the the top of the heap at at this point. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that that so should my, not my... be ignored either. No, no. My biggest takeaway from you know legacy talk is just I'm so glad that people are seeing who Giannis is, and and he's doing this in a in a way that kind of proves incontrovertibly like 
his abilities of player, you know, his quote unquote lack of bag, it doesn't matter, right? Like impact is impact and, and winning is winning and, and dominance is dominance. And, and so I think it's just, it's really cool that such uh, an easy guy to root for, you know, and, and one who's really, I think, you know, the face of the next couple of years, even if he isn't quite as marketable for whatever reason, like I think he should end up being the face of the league. He's he's got more more personality than Luca to me, honestly, right? And he's you know clearly already reached levels that Luca has not quite gotten there yet. And so I think it would be good for the sport if a small town or at least a small NBA city guy, you know, an international guy, but one who clearly plays for the right reasons and and I think approaches the sport with a really strong work ethic and and you know just a, an incredible desire to win and, and do fun things on the court, right? Like, I think it's great that that is what we celebrate and, and that becomes the, the image that people have of the NBA. Um, I want to I wanna bring the conversation back because you mentioned a couple other people and I think that's a really interesting angle. The Chris Middleton, Giannis dynamic, what do you make of that and the kind of Batman Robin jokes that Kendrick Perkins has thrown out there? And, and what was your, what was your like legacy of Chris Middleton that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I mean... There are very few NBA championship teams out there that have won the championship because of one player. Almost all of these teams have two, but many of them even have three guys. Sometimes like even the, uh, the warriors of later years of their dynasty, having four dudes where each one of those guys does something different than other teams do. You know, they're not other teams that other players on their team do. Giannis is a world breaking defensive force and a sledgehammer on offense that will keep running down your throat to dunk and lay up and take as many free throws as he'll take, even though he might not make all of them. And that sort of pressure on a defense really exposes a lot of weak links throughout an entire course of a game. But he doesn't have that jump shot that a lot of people would like for him to have. You know? And that's okay because Chris Middleton has it. And Chris yep. Middleton is the yeah. second best player on the Bucks, And so he does the things that Giannis can't, can't or doesn't do. He's more of an on-ball defender, whereas Giannis is more of a help defender. He's the guy who you can get the ball to in those last two minutes uh, that uh, makes all the difference there for them in the series against Brooklyn, all the difference for them in those last few games against Atlanta. For me, the best comp for these two guys right now is the early 2000s Lakers. Where for the first three quarters of that game, Shaq would dominate. He would absolutely dominate. And then in the fourth quarter, it was Kobe's turn. Because Hack a Shaq would come into play, and Kobe could make those mid-range jumpers and three-pointers that the team needed to uh, score in those last tense few minutes of the fourth quarter of an NBA Finals game. So... I think it's silly to argue who the Batman and Robin was of those teams because the Lakers aren't going to win those championships without Shaq and Kobe. And the Bucks yep. would not be at the point they are right now without the things that Giannis does and without the things that Middleton does. 
Totally. And I think, I think to me, this is, it's a, another kind of feather in the cap of the argument of fit, right? Like the fit between those two guys, like you, you laid out, but also, you know, offensive, offensive skill set and, and personality, like they mesh like a glove and it's, it's so critical, I think, to, to having complementary abilities between the two best players. You know, that's what we saw. I think the pain and the friction between LeBron and Dwayne Wade, because there was you know, a significant overlap between those two guys in terms of best skill and in terms of their preferences about how to run an offense and their belief about what they should be doing. And I think it's just, it's so cool that those two guys have both committed to that franchise for a long time, that they, they clearly like and respect each other a lot and that they they work so well together on the court and i think it's just it's it's dope that people see how good chris middleton is because i've been a big fan of him for a long time thought he's massively underrated and he's he just he makes incredibly tough shots and that's something you absolutely need like you said that jump shot that that shot creation like you need in the playoffs and it's fine if a player doesn't do it so long as somebody else is there is there to do it and i think you know Middleton being being that guy is something that takes you know people by surprise a little bit. But if you've been watching, you've been seeing him do this for years. You know, he he killed the Celtics a couple years ago, and I was like, oh, it's just Chris Middleton you know, having a random you know hatred of the Celtics, and and he goes he goes goes into a frenzy. And now we're seeing no, like this is who the dude is, and he he's earned this level of respect and this level of of accomplishment, and so more power to both of them. Yeah. Knowing what I know about you, you're not going to want to end this conversation about the finals without talking about Drew Holiday. So give me your <laughs> Drew Holiday take. Yeah. Um, wow. It's see, I was I was caught up. Even I have to admit a little bit in the in the speaking of the pendulum, right? He was he was just so bad on offense those first two kind of games of Phoenix, right? Like he was, he was really, he was stinging up the joint. He, he was the reason I they lost that second game because he missed so many layups. And uh, among all that, it was a, it was a reminder that defense matters so much. Right. And he was still defending his ass off in both those games. And it was, I was listening to a podcast today. Um, ben Taylor had this guy on who, who's made a new website doing shot quality and like how that kind of affects. And it, so it was just a, high level, like what, what the game should have been like if everyone hit their shots up to their capabilities, right? Like a, a Pat Connaughton corner three is expected to be this many points and a Devin Booker pull up from the mid range is expected to be this many points. And so who was lucky and who was unlucky. And basically the trend of the series is that the Bucks have been expected to win. They should have been up three, one basically in this series. Like they've been the more dominant team and at least in, in getting what they want to happen and, and, producing good outcomes or good, good process that doesn't necessarily translate into good outcomes. And so I think it's cool for Drew that the variant swung back, you know, he proved that he was worth it. Um, I, I, I definitely thought, you know, like he was, he was the guy, maybe not as a ball handler, but doing everything else, right. That he deserved to be on the stage. He deserved those four picks. You know, it was, it was a ballsy trade and it was worth it. Um, and so I think it's, it's cool that he's, he's shown that and, in general, too, you know, the comparisons to Eric Lesnar were so funny because when they're both playing bad, they are, they are like similar players. But Drew's defensive ability is just that next level, right? You see the difference between an almost all-star and a guy who should have been making all-stars, who's been on all defensive teams, who's been, you know, borderline all-NBA, even if he, he didn't make it because there's just so many great guards in this league, right? And so 
when you when you picked the three guys, like I can't really argue with like you know CB three Middleton and Giannis being the ones whose legacy is more defined. But I think Drew has been a massively important figure because as soon as he started defending Chris Paul and, and pounding Devin Booker more, like that's when the series turned. Yeah. What say you? What say you about, about Drew? Yeah. the The reason that I mentioned CP three as having more at stake with his legacy yeah. here is yeah. because the measurements at which Chris Paul has been put at throughout his career have been fundamentally different than what Drew oh, Holiday for sure. ha- has for sure. been He's... at his career, and therefore CP three will suffer more without a ring in the hashtag ring totally. conversation totally. than uh, Drew Holiday would as well. But you're, you're right that the Drew Holiday deserves to be here. And hopefully, even though he's ba- uh, bounced from New Orleans to Milwaukee, uh, hopefully being on this national stage and having a game like game five and mm-hmm. having the defensive presence that he's had over the Bucks last three victories, hopefully Drew Holiday doing this on the biggest stage will uh, give him, allow him that recognition for those things that you so wonderfully laid out there. So yeah, if you'll, if you'll permit me for a minute, um, I'd like to get away from being you know, quite subjective and, and, you know, dive into just like kind of some fan and, and, and uh, emotionally driven content, if you will. Um, Let's go for it. Okay. So to me, the biggest takeaway from this series has just been how incredible it is to watch history happen real time you know um for me like my takeaway from the series is going to be you know that that i didn't get to see the Giannis chase down block in in game one live but then uh, i was watching was it game i it's all blurred at this point game game four you know with with his recovery on eight and i saw that happen at the moment and i was able to go immediately holy crap that's a career definer right like that's a tell your grandkids about the block that nobody else in the league could make, you know, very few people in history could have made. And my, 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 I'm just, I'm, I'm so excited that I've been able to see stuff like that. You know, Drew Holiday make his legacy. He's a defensive kind of first point guard and he got to have that specific, you know, signature play that moment. And it was just, it was so gratifying to watch it and to be reminded like, you know, that's why we tune in. That's why we care about this is to see those things happen and to see them live and just to to be treated to like three of them you know whether it was that the lob the the steal or that the block of previous game you know to to watch those all happen was was amazing and it was it was so gratifying and just so so cool so i don't know if you got to see any of those live and like what your takes away were too um but for me it was just like holy crap like that's that's you know the same way lebron's block for better or worse in the 2016 finals, you know, like you knew, you knew instantaneously, like, Oh God, when it's, you know, a team that you, you root for having it done to them, you know, you say, Oh, I'm going to see that for the rest of my life. But either way it's history. And it's, it's just, it's been, it's been really cool to, to watch that happen for finals that people were complaining about, right? Like, Oh, these middling teams, these middling cities, you know, first take was talking shit about Milwaukee or Phoenix and Everyone was saying, oh, this is a boring finals when we had a couple blowouts in early games. And all of a sudden it's become become like an amazing one, right? It's become one that I'm going to go back and love watching because it's been such good basketball. 
Yeah. Uh, these these moments of of history are super special. We are going to be seeing them on finals mixtapes for the rest of our lives. You know, much like we've seen, uh, maybe not as to the to the level of Michael Jordan's shot against Utah in 1998, but like so many other moments, like Larry Bird's steal or Dr. J's rock the cradle, all this other stuff that's just gonna be popping up on our on our screens for for the rest of our lives, and that is super special to watch. I did take exception with everyone immediately labeling Giannis's block as the best block in NBA finals history Okay, because LeBron's block on Iguodala, as much as it hurts you to think about literally like had a direct hand in the end of that series. Sure. So, so here's, here's how I'd frame it. More important, the LeBron block, technically the, the Giannis block was harder. Right, like it was, it was, it was much more difficult, much more special to me, at least in terms of, you know, the aesthetics of it, the mechanics of it. Like when I watched that live, the LeBron block, it was kind of a sense of like, oh, here he comes, oh, it's gonna happen. Whereas this block was, I thought Aiton was dunking it, I thought it was over. And the camera, you know, pan, I don't know, this may be a little minutiae minute. Right? The camera panned to Aiton, and so Giannis was entirely out of at least the center of the frame. And so I thought, oh, this this dunk is done that game that's the like you know the series right they're going up they're going up 3-1 it's over and then out of nowhere you know Giannis does something that nobody else I don't think like I said could really do so I, I will totally grant you LeBron Bach probably more important probably you know more significant probably more historic but I think this from like an effort and, and an athletic ability to me you know he, he, he blocked a fucking seven footer six inches above the rim you know, it was so, yeah, that's, uh, that's my take on that. Yeah. That's, I, I that's fair. Them, so. That's fair because the block was absolutely astounding and you were getting to watch all of the replays and all of the, the different angles and all the pictures of like, here is Giannis when Devin Booker released the ball, yes, his foot yes. is on the free throw mm-hmm. line. Deandre Ayton is already in the air, you know? And it's like, <sighs> it, it should be impossible, but it yes. wasn't. And then that's no, what no, it, it wasn't. What what's gets to make this all that more wonderful and the Drew Holiday to Giannis lob at the end of Game Five, totally Delicious. unnecessary, against <laughs> against all orthodox basketball plays, and it happened because the current, current. best basketball player on the planet got it into his head that he wanted to dunk that basketball and drew holiday off the best game of his career had the balls to pass it to him. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. and, oh, was... and th- those are the types of moments that you will remember the sports forever, not dribbling the ball out and taking a foul that lob no, uh-uh. that gets put down. And obviously you don't want to gamble away your chance at winning the NBA finals off of something that could look dope as fuck. However, <laughs> However, that was dope as fuck. And I hope that Drew Holiday uh-huh. had in his head a little thought of like, as he's letting go of the ball, like, man, if we pull this off, we'll be legends for it. That, that's what I, yep. I hope yep. a little bit of for there as well. Okay, a, a couple more things on that, on that lob. There's a picture of, of Drew as he's releasing the ball. And I don't know if you've seen this, but you can see Middleton behind him 
pointing for him to throw the lob to, right? Like it wasn't, and I think that was just, that was such a cool encapsulation of this team. Like, like Giannis doesn't, he never wants to take the easy way out, right? Like he's not, he's not about that. He's not, you know, he's trying to, to do things the right, quote unquote, right way. Um, and I think that's, that's a cool, and it was cool for that moment to be rewarded by luck, by the basketball gods, whatever you want to call it. Um, the other thing, it's fuck secret three though, for that push. Like that was to me, you know, to, to get back to this little, you know, fandom and emotional driven perspective for a second. Like this is the reason that I'm actually kind of glad that the narratives about him, the choking, the whatever are being somewhat validated in, in people's minds, even if they shouldn't be, right? Like I think he's long been a player that I really couldn't stand and I, I had to begrudgingly respect. And now for him to, you know, do something that dumb and also dangerous and actively hurt his team, right, in, in, in violation of all of his reputation and what we know about him as this intelligent, winning, composed, controlling player, right? For him to kind of lose his head and shove Giannis at that moment, and for it not to work out, right? For for him not to prevent the dunk and then Giannis missed both free throws and things to go, right? For for Karma to say, no, you don't get to you don't get to have your cake needed to and to be knocked down a peg and for him to potentially lose his finals as, as somebody who's a fan of another point guard who competes with him for accolades and all-time rankings it was it was chef's kiss you know for that crotchety old man yeah I'm, I'm gonna come out with an unpopular opinion here that i understand why chris paul did what he did mm. you know Giannis. No, I, actually I, yeah Giannis is a full foot taller than that man and like when you go back and watch replays of that lob like Yana, it wasn't necessarily like a no-brainer finish. No, no, you know? it was hard. It, it was, it was, it was a hard pass. finish that only, I think there's not a single player in the NBA who could finish that pass right now except for Giannis. And maybe AD. Maybe, maybe AD. AD. Maybe AD. But if that ball isn't right on target, if Drew a holiday, like, double clutches for a moment and because he's like maybe i should hold on to this and try to get fouled if that ball is not a perfect placement chris paul makes that play and by making that play i mean prevents the dunk draws the foul i don't think it's something he would have done against a devin booker sized person or a campaign sized person sure Uh, those guys are both on his team but like you get the (laughs) point because they're like yeah yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're they're smaller guys it was less dangerous because Giannis is a foot and 50 pounds or more yeah. bigger than, than Chris Paul was. So I think it was a gamble that was made because he's incredibly high basketball IQ. He didn't just turn around to watch it happen. Yeah. And I think uh, that obviously it didn't work out because Giannis no, got I- that free throw. They get the ball back. It, it is what it is, but that, that's my yeah. take. Well, and no, actually, I, I agree with that take. I, I largely agree with that take, but I feel like it's giving him too much credit to say that it was 100% fully calculated because at least my read on like the body language and just the way that it happened is I think it was a, it's a brain fart more than anything, you know? And so I think you're right. Like, I think it, there was totally an argument that it was a correct play, right? Like that it was, it was worth it, but to me at that point, you know, you kind of already lost the game, right? Like, it's just, it was 
Chris Paul's general, you know, attitude of, of winning at all costs in, in the negative light. Right. And so that's, I guess, why I, I had such a strong reaction to it because I, I'm with you. Like there was, there was totally a logical argument for it. And I have that same reaction at the moment, but it just, it's hard for me to, to want to give him that, you know, in, in light of everything and in light of who he is as, as a personality. I hear you. I hear you. But also like, that's kind of like what makes sports sports. Sure. You know, sure. that that's kind of what like, like sports isn't something that you can pause every few seconds, spend a few minutes to talk and discuss what the right play should be and then mm-hmm. press play and do that. Sports yeah. is something that happens like the best of sports is what happens in that moment, you know? And yeah. I don't think there's a single person out there who enjoys basketball games where the last two minutes are a foul Mm-mm. here, a replay here, like, a challenge there, you know, and like having it stretch out all that much. So to get those last two minutes to be going quickly and to get someone like Chris Paul in that moment where he has to make the best possible decision for himself that he has half a second to think about, you know, that's the sort of stuff that makes makes sports sports and makes those, those gambles worth it or not worth it. And, uh, um, whatnot. All right, I can I concede your point, and I, for my own personal reasons, I'm going to continue to believe that he just was being dumb and uh, reckless because it suits my own narrative and, and feelings. I, I understand <laughs> fandom. Fandom is sometimes not the most logical thing in the world. Definitely not. All right, is there any more more final things? I guess we should say who do you who do you expect to win tomorrow? What's your what's your pick? I, I expect Milwaukee to win. I expect Milwaukee to win. I would, I, would, I, would, I would pick Milwaukee to win. They're going home. They've got the momentum. And they have the two best players in the series on their team right now. And if they get game five, Drew Holiday, there's a good chance that they have the third best player, the fourth best player in the series as well. Devin Booker's been shooting the lights out. Like Phoenix didn't even play that bad in game five. They played really no, well. No. They're shooting. They shot like almost 50, 40, 90 as a team. Their offense has been great. It's, it's been their defense, which is ironic because, you know, that was what everyone was, was saying was going to be, you know, be part of the calling card. Right? It's like, Oh, they've got, they've got such a, you know, a perfect fit at all the five positions. They have like a prototypical guy at almost every single spot and like a really good defense and, turned out not to be enough, which, you know, the Bucks, their defense has always been good. And the irony has been their offense hasn't been working, uh, you know, in the playoffs or it's gotten bogged down and stuff. And now somehow they've figured it out. Yeah. I mean, the, the game plan buster for a perfectly drawn up lineup is an unguardable player. Yep. Yep. You know, and they, they haven't faced that in the playoffs yet, you know, like LeBron and AD were both hampered by injuries. Uh, Jokic is uh, not quite unguardable. He's what makes him work is having like the wonder, like, like a lot, a lot of high level players around him that he can work his magic through. And then uh, Paul George did his best Kawhi impression, but Kawhi missing in, in the Western conference finals was big. Gian, there's not a player in the world who can guard Giannis. You have to sell out to guard Giannis, and even then, it's not always going to work. So yeah. I, I, I respect, I respect what James Jones has put together, what Monty Williams has done with it, but 
I, I feel bad for anyone trying to stop Giannis at, the, at his best. <laughs> oh, okay. Just for, for one moment, you know, to, to tie this back to our earlier themes, uh, Robert Sarver is another person that should not get a redemption arc. And I'm almost glad that the Suns aren't winning for this reason because don't think that, you know, a year of being not an insane and greedy bastard, you know, should should shade, erase that that legacy and reputation. And uh, I hope the, the the dominant quote, even if he does win a title, you know, of, of his tenure is that old lady at the uh, Phoenix area um city council meeting who who lit his ass up right like i you know i i uh, i think we in general we are far too eager to to pave over kind of previous reputations and so i i'm i'm hopeful that you know in spite of james jones and the success they've had that we don't forget that he's kind of a piece of crap oh uh, absolutely and for me personally i am beyond the point of uh giving owners really like any amount of credit with a team success, you know? Sure. Sure. Like like where, where, where I'm at with like a team winning or not winning. Like I don't even think about the owner. The owner is just the rich guy who is getting all sorts of tax cuts from owning this team, as well as getting to like look cool to his rich buddy friends for the fact that he owns these teams and even the, the NBA teams with the most involved owners, like we get to see a Steve Ballmer reaction gif every every few months. And Mark Cuban has been doing more harm than good recently. Like I don't yeah. I don't give a shit about owners really. Like okay, I, I choose that's, to focus that's, on that's the a good players point. and all that stuff. Yeah, good. But anyway, who who's your pick for for Game Six in the series? <sighs> see, okay, this is tough because so the the Bucks are the my like second favorite team. They you know, I, I root for them decently hard, um, but I'm nervous. I'm nervous. And I guess it's also because I have the sense that if they don't win tomorrow, it's done, right? Like the Suns, I fully expect to win in game seven. So I'm, I'm hesitantly picking the Bucks, And I don't know how much that is, you know, like rooting interest and, and a desire to see that true or just a sense that it's, they've really kind of turned the tides and it's been a pretty dominant three in a row. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know what to expect, honestly. I think the kind of dominant theme of the last couple of games is that the Bucks, you know, altered some stuff. They came home, they got that momentum, and they feel like they've been on top. And so I, I have a feeling there's got to be one more counterpunch, right? There's got to be one more strategic kind of uh, comeback from Monty Williams and, and the Suns. And, and maybe we finally see Chris Paul play up to his capabilities, or maybe that injury doesn't hamper him quite so much, or Devin Booker assist some more people. So I, I don't know. I'm picking the bucks because they're at home, but not, not by much. Very, very nervously, I guess is how I would put it. Fair enough. My, I know we've said last comment on NBA finals a few, a few times here. No, 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 no. Go for it. I, I do think that there is something to be said for playoff experience with the same core of guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, like, the the recent like any dynasty pick, pick pretty much any dynasty like the warriors went through it in a few years in the playoffs with Steph, Draymond and Clay before breaking through you know 
the uh, Larry Bird Celtics went through it. The Michael Jordan Bulls went through it. Even the Lakers had uh, a bad uh, playoff run or two with Shaq and Kobe before their three-peat yeah. happened, you know? Mm-hmm. And the Bucks have had a tough few uh, playoffs in the last few playoffs. And this is the Suns, most of the Suns' first time in the playoffs and most of their first times getting punched in the mouth. You know? Yeah, that's true. That's the Bucks true. got punched in the mouth in game one and two and had been there before and knew what it took to come, to come back. The Suns had been riding the same playoff high this entire time. Now, if, they, if the Suns had pulled off a game in Milwaukee for, uh, or even their last game in, in Phoenix, I, it, it'd be a different story, but momentum is huge. And experience yeah. is what is the breeding ground for that momentum, in my opinion. Yeah, so I, I, I do have to say that, like... The Bucks. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I do have to say, like, after game three, I, I really, you know there's the old the old axiom that oh, the series doesn't start until a team wins on the road right and people mock that but i do think there's some truth in that right it's like when things until things like start to go against expectation or against you know a familiar script then you haven't really learned that much or you haven't really seen something that you wouldn't expect and so there was all this talk about like oh the bucks are down 0-2 going home and you know they have to win four out of five right to win and as someone who, who pays attention, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, shaking in my boots, right? I really thought like, okay, if they get that first one in Milwaukee, kind of expected them to tie this whole thing up to two. And so uh, I think you, you make a great point about the, the importance of history and the importance of experience. And we'll see if, if that is enough to carry them all the way through. Yeah. But uh, who knows? Who knows? So we we thoroughly talked out some of the bigger picture conversations uh, about this finals. We do we're we're inverting our normal order here a little bit. We're hitting our shoot around uh, second in uh, this thing. There's a few other general playoffs, uh, playoff trends, playoff events that we wanted to touch on briefly and give our our opinions and. Uh, with the first one of those, the the Western Conference Finals opponent for the Suns, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, without star and lead guy, fun guy Kawhi Leonard, uh, we're still able to to make some noise happen. Riley, why don't you you uh, take your your PG thirteen victory Thank lap? You. Thank you. Yes. uh, Yes. Talk about the Clippers in the playoffs. (laughs) Man, I I must say that felt pretty good. Um, You know, to, to, to believe in someone and to, I don't have a reputation to stake, but you know, to, to whatever extent that is possible, stake my reputation on saying, no, this guy's good. And this guy is, is not the player that everyone thinks he is for that to be proven correct. And for him to do a frankly amazing job without, the you know top four player in the world I think was was really fun to watch you know I think he did it in an entertaining and, and convincing style which was fun and it was it was just it was cool to hear stupid narratives die basically on on the uh clippers way through the playoffs and so it's a bummer for the league that Kawhi's out next year you know I, I really 
I don't think I have the sense that we're never going to see the, the pairing of those two guys at it's, it's full potential. Um, because last year for whatever reason, they really didn't have it and, and the bubble or whatever can, can be part of that. And now we're going to go home of the year without that pairing. Um, but I think it was, it was cool to see Ty Lu, um, you know, show his chops and, and show what could be done and, and get some classic games like the Terrence man, random explosion. Right. I, I don't know how much of that you saw, but, uh, I wasn't necessarily rooting for the Clippers. I was rooting for Paul George, but they, they played a convincing, convincing style and, and showed the importance of certain skills, you know, whether that be the three-point shooting, whether that be the defensive flexibility that they have with all those kind of switchable guys. And so uh, it was cool for them to, to, you know, dispatch some, some easy, there's some, some teams that would have, would have created really easy talking points and really dumb jokes that we would have all had to be subjected to, even if we aren't Clippers fans, right? Like, you know, just to, the unoriginality was, was going to be a drag, I think. So it was, it was nice that those, those narratives were killed off by some, some superstar play by a, a guy who I think is a superstar. Yeah. Uh, a, a few things that I loved about uh, the Clippers late playoff run Paul George was like leading the playoffs in minutes by an aggressive amount, which is a a further feather in his cap. I love big explosions and career making uh, Mm -hmm. uh, runs from random dudes like Terrence Mann. It's why I loved Randy Arazarena so much for the Tampa Bay Rays (laughs) last year, cross sport reference, but watching Terrence Mann play with confidence and with a, edge that like really does not befit a player of his standing but for him walking around like an all-star and playing like an all-star was really fucking awesome to watch uh so yeah the the clippers gave us some some good television this year even if like you said losing Kawhi for this end of this year and all of next year is really going to prevent us from seeing some some cool stuff uh, from him and Paul George at, at their peaks. The other conference finalist that did not, was not able to make it into uh, the finals was another team with a superstar who has been uh, the butt of many, many jokes and unfair comparisons. And we got to see the coming out party of Trey young and the Atlanta Hawks, uh, this, uh, playoffs which was was really exciting it was really exciting to see what uh trey young could do on a team that like has been designed all around like what you mentioned earlier fit you know and uh we we talked a lot about the hawks in an early episode of the hockey assist and talking about that sort of team building style that they've put together and one of my favorite coaching or one of my favorite phrases in sports is that coaching matters and getting mm-hmm. rid of Lloyd Pierce and the Trey young show, bringing in Nate McMillan and team basketball was really awesome to see. I want to stick up for Lloyd Pierce for a second. I, I don't have a ton of opinions, informed opinions on his coaching versus Nate McMillan's. And it's clear that McMillan is a superior coach but I think he was done a little bit dirty by the Bogdan uh, Bogdanovich injury. You know, we've seen him be the second best player on their team in the playoffs and, and incredibly important, right? Like he 
in introduced into their lineups, you know, another ball handler and, and shot creation and somebody who's experienced, like he's 28 years old, which I didn't really realize until this playoff, right? Like he's played at really high levels in Europe and in international play. And so he has that experience in these pressure moments. And so for him to be like, and the team itself to have a lot of injuries, you know, uh, uh, DeAndre Hunter and, and Cam Reddish, I believe were also hurt early in the season. And so I, I'm not to say that the firing was a mistake or that, you know, Lloyd Pierce didn't deserve it, but I think it was unfortunate that the team got healthy and then it took off. And I think it would have been really interesting to see if that philosophy that he had would have worked out. And I, I, I don't, I don't think so. Right. I think, you know, it's clear that McMillan, like you said, team ball, they play a different, different style and it worked out, but I, I just feel bad for the guy, I guess is, is my large point. You know, it was, yeah. it was poor timing. Absolutely poor timing. I think like what made it the right move was that he supported the uh, ideology of heliocentrism, which you and I have talked about Mm -hmm. on this podcast a lot of being that, uh, that idea that the whole team needs to, the whole play needs to operate around one person all the time. And the Hawks were best when they weren't doing that and allowing for Mm -hmm. their other Mm -hmm. players to be successful like, the guy who I feel bad for the most, uh, and but also want to celebrate for his playoffs was John Collins, mm, because mm-hmm. John Collins uh, had some awesome moments, and the entire season has been the glue guy doing everything that the Hawks have asked of him that n- the team needs to succeed, and is either going to have to accept less money than he's worth to stay in Atlanta, or he's going to have to move on to a different spot. And that's kind of unfortunate because John Collins uh, uh, are the illegitimate son of our friend, Jake Hazeltine. Shout out Jake. Uh, the, uh, he's, he's a fun guy with a great story and plays hard and all the things that I love to root for in a basketball player. And he's probably going to be yeah. moving on somewhere else next year. And that's, that's a bit unfortunate. Now I hearing an interview with him a podcast a number of years ago, I think from Vegas summer league, I was just super impressed with the way he saw the game and the way he talked about the game and the way he talked about himself and his role and whatnot. And it was just a, another piece of evidence that, you know, knowing what your best role is and doing it, there's no greater sports glory, I think, for someone who's not going to be necessarily the best player on a team or, or, or a star star. And so props to him for, for seeing that and accepting it and, and being great at it to the point that it really helps them get super deep. Um, my, my takeaway from, from the Atlanta run is kind of related to what you were talking about earlier on this experience. Um, and it's a point that's been made by people much smarter than me. So this is something that I'm parroting. It's not entirely original, but the idea that we're going to see an overcorrection, right. Or an overestimation by the Hawks as, as an organization, you know, thinking that they're a little bit better than they are. Um, and so I'll just be curious to watch in the off season, what they do and, and how they approach this. And if, do they, do they truly think that they're an Eastern Conference final team? Because it was an incredible, you know, win for them to take out the Sixers. I think we're going to talk about them in a minute. Um, but that was a team that had some, like, structural flaws at the moment. And I just tend to think that the Hawks' kind of path wasn't 
quite indicative of their true talent level, right? Like they didn't test themselves against teams. And, you know, and when they finally got the Bucks, who I would consider, you know, even a tear down from the Nets at full health, you know, that I think they were kind of wiped off the floor a little bit. Like 4-2 is a pretty convincing series to me, even if there were some wins for Atlanta, you know? And so I just hope as an organization that they don't think they're better than they are, right? And that they keep building what they have, which is, a ton of young guys, some really good veteran additions and, and a, a good mix. And we'll see where Travis Link and, and that, that situation goes. I, I have faith in Travis Schlank so far because he spent a few years gathering all the pieces for a core that he wanted. Yeah. And then went out to grab the veteran leadership that uh, was going to be necessary to further this young core's growth with the goal of making the playoffs because before you win a championship you need playoff experience yep. he yep. followed that team building strategy that we outlined in like the second episode of the hockey assist second or third episode of find a core that fits bring in the veterans and get some playoff experience and so i i think that they obviously exceeded those expectations because of a bit of an easier path, like you outlined, but that came from a star turn from Trey Young and the pieces all beginning to fit together. So I, I think that Travis Schlank is w- wise enough to see that another year with DeAndre Hunter and Kevin Herter and Cam Reddish might actually be good question mark yeah, you know yeah. and like I, I i i think they're they're on the right track and this year was a a they might they're probably not going to win the nba finals next year but they are well positioned in an eastern conference that is not going to have to worry about the nets forever because those guys totally, are totally in their, in their 30s and uh are gonna may not have to worry about the Sixers depending on how this offseason goes. Yeah. So um, be- before we pivot, before we pivot there, one last thought on the Hawks, and that is something that has just completely gone out of my mind. Um, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, there was a lot of talk when Trey was going off that, like, oh, maybe they actually won the Luca trade. And I just want to say definitively, no, I'm sorry. Uh-uh. As much as Trey has been amazing and sensational, I do not, I do not think that as much as the trade, it was good, right? It, was, it wasn't a lose. I don't, I don't think that when we look back at the end of both of their careers, that they made the right choice. And that's just, that's just how I feel. So I don't know what you think about that. I, I, I hear you because I think Luca is still the more individually accomplished player of the two of them so far. I think what Atlanta has won so far is the team building competition. Totally. Yeah. Uh-huh. But against the Mavericks. So the Mavericks may have, may have won that draft, but if Cam Reddish shakes out to be the player that he kind of showed flashes of in this playoffs. And they continue to build through a sound strategy while the Mavericks first round picks are going to keep getting shipped to New York. Then uh, we might not have to, it, it, it might not be as clear of a Mavericks won the trade more than maybe the Mavericks won that pick 
but the hot it, yes. it's they yes. won the battle maybe lost the war sort of thing we'll see totally totally i feel you um before we pivot to the sixers do you want to take a minute about kp and, and what the future holds in, in dallas or should we just move on to the the meat of the meat of this um i out of episode really quick i'd be down yeah. to uh address the KP thing a bit later. And I'd also be down to save the Sixers. Okay. Because I think there's more there than just a quick bit at the end of this episode. Okay. And I I know for a fact that we'd start talking about them and last for 30 minutes and make the podcast way too long. How how long are we at at this moment? Um, I forgot to write down the exact start time, but we're over an hour. Okay, because I was I was saying that earlier, but I was also like, "Oh, it's been so long. Why don't we just give everybody like hella?" hella yeah, I mean, hella I'd be content. down to either like record later this week or just like okay. be more because the season is ending right yeah. now. Like, there's going to be less. I mean, not maybe not with hashtag this league. <laughs> yeah, but there is going to yeah. be hashtag less content, and we'll have plenty of time to address what we want to address. Speaking speaking of, I, I I keep like forgetting stories that we didn't talk about that happened. And did you see the fucking KD stuff? It was on like Twitter Spaces the other day, and like going after not going after, but like responding to fans and, and saying crazy out of pocket stuff again. I feel like that's just every uh, every other yeah, week with yeah. this guy. <laughs> but, but that like the, you know the episode that we made, it's it's continually relevant and continually um related to some something that he's doing it was it's so wild like it's just constant katie yeah just delete twitter man i so at this point i'm I'm very confident saying that the man is delusional right like he he fully believes the kind of oh hardest road and, and whatnot like stuff which is fine to me but also like i can't fault him if that's you know where his frame of reference is coming from So we've teased talking a little bit about the the Sixers. That is probably a a bigger podcast topic than we are prepared to hit you with today. So the last uh, team that we are going to uh, talk about uh, some takeaways from their playoff run was, as everyone will be quick to remind you, this playoffs was largely defined by the stars that were not playing as opposed to the stars that were playing. And that uh, especially affected the Brooklyn Nets, which are a team built around three stars who lost two of those stars for an extended period of time. There's a lot to unpack from the Nets season and from their... uh, Pretty epic second round uh, series against the the Bucks. Classic. What do you start with? I would I would call it a classic. Yeah. What do you want to start with? Oof. Uh, like you said, there's so much. Um, we've already kind of mentioned KD and, and his foot on the line and all that. Um, I think my my takeaway from that is before that series, I was very firmly in the camp that that was the NBA Finals, right? Like I I saw those. Uh, or maybe the conference finals at least, right? Like I saw that as the best kind of 
two teams left in the Eastern Conference by far and, and probably the best team you know left in, in the whole league. And so in hindsight, I feel pretty good about having that opinion. Um, those teams really did seem like they were, you know, both at least tiers, tiers above of, you know, everybody else they would have faced. I, I can't imagine the Sixers would have done any better than the Hawks if they'd gotten there. And, and I can't imagine if the Nets were happy to move on that they've been having any trouble, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting because it's not a team building strategy that I want to flourish, right? Like I, I don't think it's sustainable and I, I, I think it's bad for the league, but it was really impressive to see KD do what he did and almost single-handedly it felt like will that team um excuse me deep deep in the playoffs and so i think the other takeaway beyond you know just his individual brilliance and, and how that team came together is how incredibly important role players are you know and and we talked about this earlier and you know having having the best four or five guys and how you need three and it was crazy that bruce brown was a guy in that series that was making a massive difference. Somebody I'd uh-huh. never heard of until this year and who's got a frankly unorthodox sort of play style. He's a, he's a six what guard with a floater that that's his big thing, right? Like that's his, his weapon as a role man on offense. And somehow it was, it was critical and he hit it just at an astronomical rate from what I expected from a guy who, you know, it's not that known to me beforehand. So it was, it was wild to see him and, you know, Joe Harris had a turn of a series, but but the other guys, you know, McClaxton and and Blake Griffin, I guess, is a role player now, even if you know, we've gotten into that before in this podcast. Um, but I thought it was just a reminder that there's always going to be help if you're a smart enough organization out there. And you also need that help because the brilliance of one dude alone isn't going to get it done. Yeah. What did you think? Uh, I think you were right to start with the the brilliance of Kevin Durant there, where like through his internet escapades and <laughs> joining the seventy three and nine Warriors, has caught more shit as a superstar than anyone else in NBA history, aside from maybe a handful of superstars, and. He is still one of the best basketball players in the world. And he reminded people of that, which was yep. awesome. Yep. And I loved Bruce Brown's contributions because he's been doing that, playing being a six foot center all year long, which has been remarkable to watch. Uh, and I think the biggest dead weight on the, the Brooklyn Nets that, uh, because they did a phenomenal job as an organization, uh, putting together some depth around their big three and uh, on the fringes and Steve Nash did a great job of using that depth on the fringes, but something that took them from a position of not great money wise to really strapped for cash is the Deandre Jordan contract. That dude is worth is getting $10 million a year. And I don't think he played a second in the conference in the the semifinals so i don't believe so no so that 10 million dollars towards one other rotation worthy guy one other starter level guy could have been enough to push the nets past the bucks 
you know? And so I guess that's the price that you pay for getting uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but there, there had to have been a better way. There had to have been a way to, to not have that get in the way. Uh, But yeah, it James Harden is one of the more durable superstars and this year suffered from not coming into the year well-conditioned with the injuries that he's, this is the first really injury hampered year he's had after carrying an absolute monstrosity of an offensive load for years. So yeah. if he takes his off season seriously, you know, then uh, I'm not worried about his health and a James Harden, uh, Kevin Durant two-headed beast is scary enough. If Kyrie Irving has a playoff series where he's healthy and, and present, then I I'm scared about this team next year for sure. The, just totally. because they lost I, to the Bucks, and if the Bucks go on to win this next game, I think you will be right having called it as the the, the I, I think I chided you a bit for calling it the NBA Finals yeah, in the second yeah. round, but. If the Bucks go on to win, that will be some Nostradamus level uh, prediction <laughs> for you there, Riley. Yeah, I, I, so I think for me, like it's almost scary how good that team could be next year, right? Like they they might not be able to pay everyone. I can't remember if Joe Harris is a free agent or not. Um, maybe no, he just rights, he just but... signed the the four year hundred million dollar deal. Oh, okay. He can make three pointers. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, there you go. Um, it's, the, the other takeaway, I guess, for me was how in an injury situation, right? Like we all respect James Harden for, for playing through it and trying to come out. And I think it's, it's just a, a fascinating idea that like James Harden who can't play is actually worse than no James Harden at all. And I'm, you know, I'm wondering, that's probably the case for almost every superstar in the league, which is, which is just a really interesting thing to think about, you know, they, in that first game, the Bucks kind of played him like he was James Harden and he didn't punish them for it. And, and they were able to sneak away, I believe, with a victory, if I can remember correctly. And then later on, they realized, oh, he can't do anything. And and they were able to, you know, even if he did score 20 points, it wasn't it wasn't an effective point. It wasn't like, you know, backbreaking. And so I, I just thought that was a really interesting wrinkle that who knows, but the Nets might have been able to win if they had, you know, put more effective players who are nowhere near the talent that James Harden is on the court instead of a guy who clearly like could not move much at all. Yeah. And like it, you it, said, next year. Oh, go ahead. It, it just goes to show once again, that professional athletes are a different breed than the rest of us mortal humans, you know, that like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the, the level that it takes for them to be at their best is requires so much physical and mental fine tuning that if that's just thrown off by like the tiniest bit or by a significant amount, it can hobble one of the greatest offensive players of, of this generation mm-hmm. and turn, turn him ineffective. So when we see guys coming back, like Donovan Mitchell fighting through an ankle injury yeah. through their second round loss, you know, like it, it's significant. It's really significant. These, these, uh, what, how injuries can, can play a part. I am, I'm having to go back and read articles as we're talking about this because it wasn't even that long ago, but so much has happened that I've forgotten a lot of the kind of storylines in that series. And, uh, another thing I just want to shout out is Brooke freaking Lopez for, for reminding everyone, right? Like that, that he, 
deserves to be the Nets' all-time leading scorer, right? Like he he was that talent, he was that guy, and so it was it was fun in that series for him to have a little bit of a homecoming and a little bit of a, a reminder to everyone that he's incredibly skilled, incredibly talented, and he wasn't obviously a player that you know best team on a best player on a championship team, but he deserved that franchise star title, right? Like he's he's got a lot more to his game than he shows in, in Milwaukee because he's got even better players around him and because he's, he understands fit and whatnot. But I just thought that was a fun wrinkle that I have only just remembered by, by being reminded as I, I look through the, the recaps and whatnot of that series. Yeah. And how about his 30 piece against Atlanta when Giannis, yeah. uh, when we all thought Giannis had torn his ACL and we were all oh having God, like, yeah. that, that was, if Giannis had had, the injury we all thought he had that would have taken this playoffs from a good playoffs to officially the injuries breaking the camel's back, so to speak. That would have been the yeah. straw that broke yeah. the camel's back. And um, so grateful for that. But when Giannis was out with that injury, watching Brooke Lopez go for 30 against Atlanta because he's a seven foot offensive talent was very cool to see as well. Well, now that we've taken a tour of basically the last two months and, and the entire league, I'm not sure how much is left to say. No one, do you have any, you know, kind of final thoughts or final, final little snippets you kind of want to want to mention here? We'll we'll come to you more about Philadelphia. We we haven't mentioned Philadelphia much, and they are going to be the story of the off season. So we'll come back to you with some info on Philadelphia. And uh, feels great to be back. Feels great to be talking these things over again, man. Amen. Um, but the last thing I want to kind of say is just screw any asterisk talk, right? Like I understand that this this postseason has been more impacted by injuries than almost any that I can remember, and, and to some you know, more significant guys and whatnot. But as the refrain goes, like you, you play the teams in front of you. And so I, I really hope that nobody out there thinks that this title or, or these runs should, should be seen as completely legitimate or, 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 you know, Mickey Mouse ring or whatever kind of, you know, slander you want to throw on them because it's been a grueling and arduous kind of postseason for everyone who's made it this far. And we should just, you know, I, I take my hat off and I'm, I'm impressed, right, by by the, the outcomes that we've seen and, and the way the teams have fought through those injuries and dealt with their own and overcome them. So that's just kind of my final takeaway is that I, I really hope people, and I, I think that's what happens, right? We look back in 30 years and we never, we never remember that, oh, insert star here wasn't healthy in the first round game three. And so that's, that's why this whole thing is an asterisk. So that's, that's something that grinds my gear a little bit and I'm, I'm glad to, just get that on my chest. So thanks for that. Yeah, man. Well said. All right. Well, if, if you don't have anything further, then uh, we're going to wrap it up. And that's a, a really good place to leave it. So thank you all who are out there for, for tuning in. And thank you for requesting requesting new episodes. It was that uh, fan pressure that caught us back in, in the Zoom chat and back on the mics and, and back producing hours of, of podcast for you. So we, we appreciate you listening and we appreciate that, that engagement. And I'm excited to keep doing this and, and get back into the swing of things. Uh, you can, you can look for new episodes of the hockey assist dropping whenever we feel like it. Um, you know, the off season moves at a, a 
kind of fast and slow and frenetic pace. Um, and our, our schedules are going to change here pretty soon. So we'll let you know what the new recording and release schedule is. Uh, in the meantime, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast because that's the way to, to keep in touch with us. And if you do have thoughts or comments or questions, you can leave a review. You can respond to us on Twitter at hockey underscore assist. You can text us if you have our number. Uh, we always respond to those. And, and otherwise, we appreciate you being out there to listen. And we appreciate you appreciating us. And we can't wait to bring you more episodes. Uh, for Nolan Cope, I am Riley Gauthier. And we're checking out of episode 16, 17. I, I, I am not not quite sure because it's been so long. But uh, the latest episode of The Hockey Assist. We'll talk to you very soon. Thank you.